We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. And joining me on the Western Hotline is Joe DiBiase. He's the host of the Nightcap, and he is our afternoon show producer. And he's also uh, the host of Locked on Sabres, which is the context of which I'm bringing Joe in. So good morning, Joe. And you don't have to tell me. I know you would have eaten the salted caramel cruller if had I given it to you. I probably would have. I'm doing a little health kick here recently, though. So if it was in the last two weeks, I actually might not have. You know what? I'm with you, though, by the way, with uh, a couple of things that I heard in the course of the last minute or so. One, Corey referring to Devin Singletary as Mike Singletary. Yes. Total old man move. Oh, my God. <laughs> 40 years ago. Yeah, the guy and who's also, got the Steely Dan bumps. And he's, the one he's, got, he's, he's, in a, he's in a health care commercial, or like a, some random commercial that he's in now. And, uh, oh, my God. <laughs> I, 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 bury Joe, me at sea. Joe, the best thing is I didn't even pick up on it. Yeah, no, I, I heard that immediately. I'm like, wow, that's such a Corey old man move right here between all the, the youngsters here. Um, and then the other thing is, I'm with you. I like, man, since I've been, my girlfriend introduced me to Star- Starbucks, like, in the last six months, I can't drink anything else. It's a bad thing, like, for my wallet, but yes. I, mean, I can't drink anything else at this point. Yeah, and, you know, I, I have found that uh, drinking coffee is the only thing that makes me feel alive anymore. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's a tough proposition. So listen, I brought you on to talk Sabres, but we're going to talk about, like, 50 different things because 50 different things have happened. And uh, obviously yesterday, first and foremost, and I, I'm going to end the interview by asking you uh, your reviews of the new John Mayer song, but we'll get to that when we get to that. Um, the whole stadium situation is where I wanted to start with you. So we'll talk about this for a couple minutes, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get into some of the talk that I wanted to about the Sabres. So um, the stadium situation, Joe, the, the mm-hmm. rumor is, the reports are that the intention is to remain in Orchard Park. Before I dive any deeper, the decision to stay in Orchard Park, your thoughts? I, on the surface, it sounds good to me, but that is somebody that, yes, used to have season tickets to the game. And I always, I kind of bias in that, like, I grew up, like, right next to the stadium. So I always loved that it was in Orchard Park. I love the kind of the area around it because it's kind of my home. It's my area. Um, now, I think I, I do see some of the arguments that other people are making as to why, why wouldn't you be putting it downtown? Why wouldn't you be putting it here or here? And I think that there are some valid arguments for why they, why they would do that. And it is a little strange to me. It's a little odd to me that – you would rebuild the stadium in all essence, build a newer version of it, open air, everything, kind of in the same spot that it currently is. Because then my inclination would be, okay, well, why don't you just pour a bunch of more money into uh, renovations, maybe even go further than you have so far. But I don't know, man, it just seems like the, the league does not treat the stadium the same way they treat other historic stadiums that have been around as long, like, Soldier Field and Lambeau have been around longer, but like even Arrowhead, 
Like, those stadiums are kind of staples of the league, it seems. And I just don't think the league treats the Bills stadium as such. And I think that actually matters because I think the owners, it's, it's a sad reality. Like, if, if Jerry Jones and Roger Goodell and the Pagulas want a new stadium and they want it, you know, wherever they want it and the fans disagree, well, I think it's still kind of going to end up uh, where ownership wants it. So the fact that it's an Orchard Park, I guess I'm okay with it. I like it, but that's coming from a pretty biased perspective as someone that grew up in Orchard Park. Yeah, I mean, as, as a Hamburg guy, I agree. There is something there's something great about the town of Orchard Park and the setup and <clears throat> the private lots for parking. Yeah. And what makes Buffalo Tailgate so unique is that there private are sort tailgating. of... Yeah, it's the uncharted, unregulated part of the tailgate that I think is maybe most... It's maybe what people most associate with so for me I find it interesting that the Pagulas would just based on the things that I've heard from a the county uh b uh the the ownership group about wanting a little bit more control over the tailgates around the stadium it is a surprise to me that they are determining let's stay here where we still probably won't really be able to get the grip we want to have on some of the antics now I recognize it's like 10% of the people that they're talking about that they'd like to feel like they have a little bit more control over but at the end of the day if you move the, if you move the stadium downtown you don't have that anymore you don't have private lots you don't have people who own backyards that are closed off to you know police and people that can regulate so I, I guess that that's like your trade-off do you want to have that regulation of your fans in the tailgate situation or are we going status quo and if the decisions to go status quo I think that there's going to be more things like we've seen over the last couple of years prior to 2020 which is like creating that tailgate village and like trying to yeah. I don't know, trying to create a little bit more of a family-friendly environment in these games, which is going to be hard to do. But uh, the the next part of this question, Joe, is from the sounds of it, they want to keep the outdoor element of the stadium. And I couldn't disagree more with the decision to do it. Now, maybe the decision is really just as much as this, Joe. It's the retractable dome costs another $250 million, and we're trying to keep this project under a billion, and we don't believe that's viable. And part of what we love about this town, this city, this field is that the elements come into play in December. Um, I think without the retractable, they'd be missing... I guess my question to you is, should they be thinking about the team they've just built and how they're winning mm. and how they build their next stadium, or is that just me being naive? I, I don't think they should think about the current construct of the team, no. Because, I mean, really, the, the two of the, the best two Bills teams ever were high-volume passing offense, early 90s and right now. So they did that in an open-air stadium. Plenty of teams do that. Tom Brady did what he did for 20 years in Boston, Massachusetts, in the elements. So I, I don't think they should consider that. But when it comes to a multi-use facility, the, I do I like the idea of a retractable roof because if you want to have concerts, if you want to have other events, anywhere between the months of October and February, you need to have that. Otherwise, the stadium is just going to be basically football again for six months of the year, and then you'll get all your other events in the summer which that can be okay because, you know, they've done a little of that even in the past couple of years at the stadium. Um, but I think if it came down to dome, if like well, kind of what you're saying, if retractable roof is going to put the dollar figure too high to, to make it work here, then I think I'm down with the open-air stadium over a dome. I, I don't want to lose that element if it came down to one or the other because, man, when it's just – it's not even about the winter months for me. I'm one that doesn't mind the winter games when it's snowing. When it rains, I mean, I could 
couldn't I don't want that at all. Don't get me wrong, when it's cold and rainy, that's the worst. But man, when it is just it's nice out, it's seventy and sunny, early September, uh, even into October, shorts and hoodie weather. Um, I mean, that that's hard to beat for me. So I don't want to lose that element of it. And right. to me, if it came down to dome versus open air, I'd want open air. Joe DiBiase at Sneaky Joe uh, here on the Western Sports. Hotline. Uh, Sneaky Joe Sports. That's right. That's right. Um, here on the Western Hotline Sports Talk Saturday, starting off the show. And the reason that I originally brought Joe was not to talk about the stadium, but the stadium stuff came about kind of late yesterday. Um, and and, and I, you know, I, I would be remiss not to talk about it a little bit to start the show. So I, I brought Joe on because I wanted to talk. And I mentioned um, in my intro that Joe is the host on Locked On Sabres or for Locked On Sabres, the podcast you can follow at Locked On Sabres on Twitter. And um, this week you have sort of been a, uh, a content machine in terms of Sabres content, which they've given you plenty of ammunition for, yeah. Joe. So um, I there, there's a couple areas I want to start with you um, with this topic. And I think the place I want to start is where I was sort of getting to at this place yesterday morning when I filled in for Howard and was on with Jeremy. And the idea of the of the Sabres really kind of going all in on this draft. And, you know, I know I, I, I've i seen some stuff from you kind of talking about, hey, maybe one of the best ways to really rebuild and restock the cupboards here is, you know, trying to trade Reinhardt and Eichel and somehow acquire the second overall from Seattle and, and get that third overall from Anaheim and have one, two, three, and really just rebuild your franchise with the first three picks of the draft. And I think in theory and in principle, the idea sounds sound, and it's really not that crazy of an idea. Like, it's not some pipe dream thing. Like, I think mm-hmm. it could totally happen the thing that I worry about is less about it I want to make sure I go on record as saying I am not one of those people that say this is the worst draft in the last 20 years why would you want that I I don't agree with that narrative I agree that it's the least there are there are fewer resources to go on in this draft than maybe any draft ever that is an actual I think statement of fact um yeah. But more so, Joe, this is an organization with the slimmest and leanest scouting staff in all of hockey. In all of hockey, their general yeah. manager is going on his second draft ever in an NHL front office. I get they brought Caramano, so they have somebody who's done it before. But I just don't really trust this team to have that sort of. Uh, I don't know. Con- that's like a really consequential year. Like you are, you're talking yeah. about maybe the most important off season in the in the franchise's history, and you are putting it in the hands of a guy who has one draft under his belt. I, I completely understand that because there is there's no tangible reason right now to look at what they have in the front office and trust them to do the draft right. But I think, and, and that goes back even before this this uh, front office, by the way, because yep, agreed. their drafting has been awful yep. for 10 years. Which really is why, and Joe, this is why the cupboards are so bare right now. It's not because right. they're going out and, and trading all of their top prospects for NHL players. It's literally because all of the <laughs> their prospects have not right. panned out for the most part. No, that's right. The last time they had prospects that panned out, they were Darcy picks, and Tim Murray spun them into Vander Kane, Ryan O'Reilly, right. all the other guys that he brought in. So, and, and that's that's but the thing to me that I want to differentiate between the the early draft and the later draft success is we have seen the Sabres draft one guy past the first round that's really that's played 82 games for them in the last eight years since Darcy left, and that's Victor Olison. That's the only guy past round one yep. that's played over a season for them. And I think that is where I'm more worried about the current scouting staff. It's, okay, when, it, when the draft gets hard, 
when you've got to pick guys out that other people you know might have two rounds later that you might be re- feel like you're reaching on a little bit, but you know enough about him and you've got a good enough intel on him that thinks, okay, this guy could become something. That, to me, becomes more difficult once you get later in the draft, and that's where I really don't trust yeah. what the Sabres have right now in their front office. Man, I think picking one, two, three, you get those high picks, that's easy. Me and you could do that. We yeah, could I go agree. Pick up Bob McKenzie's <laughs> draft ranking yeah. and just go. Well, I guess everyone's saying Owen Power is the first pick. I don't need to watch Owen Power play, and I could be with everybody else and knowing, okay, he's the first overall pick. And to me, that is why I want the Sabers to grab these top picks. It, it's kind of going towards what you're saying. That no, you're right. I don't trust what they have right now in terms of scouting and in the, in the general manager position and in their front office. But part of my lack of trust for them is why I want them picking at the top where it is harder to miss on those top players. And this draft, this could be the draft where you do miss on those top players. Maybe this is going towards uh, the other part of your point where go for guys that are already prospects in the league over the picks because there is no generational guy. Yep. There is no Matthews. Right. There's no McDavid. There's no Eichel. There's no Galeen even. There's a, there's a bunch of guys that you know would probably be top five picks in other years. But it's a little bit of a challenge, but I think because um, I think because it's easier to pick at the top, that's why I want the, the Reinhardt idea for me is just get Seattle to give you the second overall pick. I think it does make some sense on both sides, the Kraken. I, I don't, well, it depends what they think. Can they think they could be Vegas? I think that's nuts. Yeah, I, I do think too. Vegas was an anomaly. Yep, agreed. But Ron Francis, their general manager who came from Carolina – I mean, man, he might really think he can do that. If he thinks he can replicate Vegas, then, yeah, maybe they would trade two for Sam Reinhart. Because um, at the end of the day, the guy right now, Matthew Beneers, who's probably going to yep. go second, I think Seattle would probably tell you they would take him being Sam Reinhart. Yeah. So that trade to me makes sense. And then we've all heard about the, the Anaheim Eichel rumors uh, that three could be in play there. So Let's talk about Anaheim as, I think, a legitimate target for the Sabres. And, and the, the idea, this idea kind of popped up on our show yesterday too, Joe, which is, you know, if the Sabres really are sort of hell-bent on sending Eichel out west, like they don't really want to deal with the potential of him being in division, which, by the way, I'm kind of all about. Um, and it's not really mm-hmm. about, like, like reveling and Jack Eichel going to somewhere to fail. It's more so not wanting to watch the Ryan O'Reilly situation play out a second time, right? Like I, that That's what I think I'm most concerned about. But make it make sense why the Anaheim Ducks would be the smart team to go after Jack Eichel, because aren't they just the Sabres, but they're out west? You're, you're looking for me to make a stand, uh, argument why the Ducks should do Why it? the Ducks should even consider trading I- for Jack Eichel. I think I don't think there is a good reason for it. I actually think if they do it, they're kind of delusional into thinking that they're still good, but that's kind of what we're hearing. I mean, I've heard Greg Wyshynski talk about this from ESPN. Friedman has talked about it. Jeff Merrick, a couple of the guys from Sportsnet. I feel like every time, the, especially at the beginnings of when the Ducks were being mentioned with Eichel, everyone was like, yeah, Bob Murray, like he thinks he's a couple pieces away from being right back in it as a contender. And all the power to him. I don't think they are. I think if they acquire Jack Eichel, they're still a bottom five, bottom ten team in the league. Um, so I don't know if there is a great case for them. I, th- I guess the, the best case to be made was just this is a player that does not become available, and that's the argument to be made for why anybody sure. could be in on Jack Eichel, because Eichel don't become available. John Severus hit free agency, but he was five years older than Eichel was. Um, so I, I just think because of the rarity of the player, I guess that's the best I can do. That you know, If you're the Ducks, and 
you know what? I, I could make one more case for it, even though I don't agree with it, and this is not the way I would be treating it if I were them. Their core group is like this is like this is you want to take one more run at it. Cam Fowler is 29 years old. Josh Manson is 29 years old. Those are your best two defensemen. Jacob Silverberg, your best forward. Ricard Raquel, 30 years old and 28 years old. Um, Getzloff is off their books. But you've got a lot of guys that are in the prime of their careers but are about to really exit the prime of their careers, and they might think that Jack Eichel could squeeze the, the last little bit of contention out of them. Joe, let's grab a call because DJ in Lockport's calling in and wants to give, uh, give a thought here on the Sabres. DJ, uh, you're on with Nate and Joe on Sports Talk Saturday. What do you got for us, man? Gentlemen, what's going on? Nothing much, man. So, Good morning. Um, first, first, just to touch with the, the Murray thing, I, I personally feel like he's going to go after Eichel because the guy has a track record. He's a, he's a known GM in this league, and in his mind, this turnover thing, uh, one, league, one year to the next, could easily happen if they went and got Jack Eichel. They could easily be that next team that goes bottom to top again. It happens every year. I think we all know that. But my, my call was about Chris Taylor. The, the fact that you guys are talking, it made that point about Olsen. That alone itself shows me that, that them firing that whole department was a good idea. I, you know, the, the, the cesspool that is Sabres Twitter, there's a narrative <laughs> going on, obviously. I just kind of died out since, but that somehow that was a, a cheap way to go. Whatever. I, I think that was the good move, the right move. Every time Chris Taylor went up against somebody in the playoffs after winning a bunch with older AHL guys, he was lambasted by Sheldon Keefe, and I think they lost to uh, – there was a couple of times he's lost, I think twice with Sheldon Keefe. But my point is is that there was this narrative going on that somehow Chris Taylor was a good coach and he was ready to take over this team, but he won with a bunch of older AHL guys. And then what, what players came out of this organization from his tutelage that did anything in this team? Not, nobody. And it was Olsen who was, what, 24 at the time, if I'm not mistaken, when he was drafted and he was already a known player – so, like, it was six rounds on top of it. So, my point, point for the call is that I think it was the right move, and you were making the point earlier. I wanted to call in and touch base with me about it because I, I feel like that's something that a lot of Sabres fans need to hear is, like, them firing Chris Taylor was a good move. They did nothing for an organization. They won some games with some older guys, but then when the time come to win playoff games, they literally did not win one of them the whole time he was a coach. So, I'll hang up and listen, and uh, take care, guys. Have yeah, a good thanks day. for the call, DJ. And I think the other important point that – and maybe the point you you kind of touched on during your um, during your conversation there, but maybe I think was the important part is talking about the age of the players that Chris Taylor was working with. And I think a big part of the issues this team has right now is that your AHL team was built in one of the worst galaxy-brained ways I have ever seen in AHL. A, a feeder right. team was built to win AHL hockey games by Jason Bottrell. Like, when Jason Bottrell came right. here, the first thing, Joe, what did he say? The first thing, we are going to be competitive at the AHL level. We need to get Randy Sexton. We need to get all these all these pieces. We need to bring in 34 washed-out uh, NHL players, 34-year-old, 35-year-old washed-out players, and we are going to be competitive in the AHL and not be a team that's developing talent. And right then and there, we should have ran for the fence. We, we should have just we should have ran as far away from that from that. It was like his opening press conference he said that, Joe. Yeah. No, yeah. I think it was it was almost artificial. Right. The success that they had in the AHL. Because it didn't it also didn't I, matter. Yeah. And like to me, like in, in like sorry to say this to like the Rochester fans, but uh, or anyone listening to Rochester, but like the way I would measure AHL success is by how many players go through there and make it to the NHL and make it as impact players in the NHL. You can have all the wins you want with the Amherst. 
But if you don't have a single player come out of there and impact your NHL club, do you have a successful farm system? And I think the answer to that question would be no. I don't know about the Chris Taylor thing. I think he gets a lot of credit, and I'm not always the one to give it to him because I don't really know. I don't think I have a good idea of what Chris Taylor is as a developer because in the last, again, three, four, five years, how many guys have gone through Rochester and have become impact players in the NHL? I think the only one is Victor Olofsson, and I would argue Victor Olofsson is the exact same player that he was when he arrived in North America. He has an elite shot, and he really doesn't have much else. So what did he really develop while during his time in Rochester? So to me, I, I think the, the way that they treated the, the farm system, um, yeah, it's not the way I would have gone about it. And just quickly on the, the Bob Murray, Anaheim Ducks point, you can make that case for anybody. That, oh, well, it's the NHL. Anybody can go from last to first. Sure, that doesn't mean that you should trade for Jack Eichel, though, if, uh, if dependent on where you are in your organizational timeline. All right, last thing for you, Joe. If you, and, and maybe this is a loaded question, and maybe, I, I don't know where you stand on, like, how involved the Kings are going to be during this process. It's it's yeah. kind of, like they've sort of been trying to push people away from the scent that they're interested at all. In fact, like, you know, you hear people coming out and saying the Kings are not going to be at all in on a Jack Eichel. And then you see people in the know kind of say, yeah, I think that's them just, you know, posturing a bit. Um Outside of the Kings, let's say it's Anaheim, let's say it's Carolina, is there a prospect in your mind that makes the most sense for this organization to say, if we're going to get rid of Jack Eichel, this needs to be the guy that we use as a centerpiece moving forward and could be a guy that maybe it will never be Jack Eichel, but can have maybe a, a similar presence in, in the lineup each night? Yeah, I think I, I want to look to the Rangers again with Alexis Lafreniere. But I just don't know. I mean, you had the report of, what, a couple months ago that they weren't willing to include him in any offer last year. So maybe things could change. But the, com- the combination of the Rangers once upon a time not being willing to send Lafreniere to, to Buffalo for Eichel and also Friedman saying this week that any Eastern team will have to pay a premium uh, for Jack Eichel, to me is uh, a, a red flag towards the Rangers getting him. I, I kind of look at Columbus. I look at Columbus as a, com- a combination of the, the picks and the prospects, and they're not really considered, I think, one of the, the likelier, or one of the favorites, at least, that we're hearing a lot mentioned for Eichel. But they'll have the motivation to do it. They need center, and they want to still be competitive. They have the fifth overall pick. They have the 24th overall pick. They have the 31st overall pick. And they are almost for sure, I think, going to end up with another first-round pick when they inevitably trade Seth Jones. Now, the, the thing about the prospects with Columbus is, Yarmo Kekalainen, their general manager, has been drafting a lot of Russian prospects in the past couple of years. In fact, the last time I looked at a prospect ranking from Columbus, three of the top four guys were Russian players. And, man, I, I hope the Sabres can get over this stigma they seem to have when, with Russian guys in that like, they, just, they never go near them. They, don't, they never draft them. They never have them in the organization. And it sounds like they don't even have a – I don't think they have a scout listed that covers the, you know, the KHL or the Russian juniors over there. So, like, Kirill Marchenko is their top prospect, um, who is a center, who was really good in the KHL last year for St. Petersburg. Like, would the Sabres be willing to take him on? Or would they say no because, you know, like, it is, it is a risk. I'm not saying it's not a risk. Kirill Kaprizov, there's a report yesterday after having an insane first year in Minnesota, he might be going back to the KHL. So it is risky, but... To me, if the level of player is good enough and you have the combination of him with 
the Blue Jackets having the fifth overall pick, only two spots behind Anaheim. Plus, they could have as many as three additional first-round picks that you could play around with. I think the Blue Jackets are a good dark horse team to look at right now. Yeah, especially, too, for for Sam Reinhardt. There's been a lot of talk um, about Columbus's interest in Sam Reinhardt, which I, you know, frankly, I would feel bad for either player if that was their fate going to Columbus because it's really just, like, basically yeah, Buffalo least, with a different shade of blue. At least Tortorella's not there anymore. Right, yeah. I mean, that, that that's a win for hockey in general. Um, Joe, thanks a lot, man. Appreciate you hopping on with me. I know you got a busy week normally, so uh, for, thanks for making some time and talking, and uh, we will, uh, we'll be talking soon, man. We got, we've got Bill's pregame, like, not that far from yep. now. So. We, we don't. And then real quick, John Mayer hot take. Mayer yes! Moore should have been in that entire Yes, that's, my hot take. yes that's, that's a great, by the way, fantastic take. I totally agree with you. Um, all right, yep. buddy. Appreciate you. Enjoy your weekend. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.